Day. My name is Evelyn Aka. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law. We are based in Calgary, Alberta, and we have two offices in Toronto and Vancouver, Canada as well. I focus primarily on cross-border NAFTA immigration law for professionals as well as families and individuals looking to move to Canada or move to the United States. I would like to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Today, I am pleased to be discussing immigration compliance audits and asking you the question, are you ready? One thing I really wanted to raise, and it's coming up more and more for our clients, is the issue of compliance audits. So in the past, probably pre-2015, people could come to Canada and get work permits, at least for certain countries like, you know, from the U.S. or visa-exempt countries, and there wasn't a lot of tracking as to what they were doing, what they were being paid, and um, what they were doing when they are here. And if we're meeting all those requirements and in 2015, the Canadian government, the immigration department changed that and announced compliance audits, compliance portal. And this is the way where you as an employer have to upload all the information to share with the government. And they have up to six years to come back and audit you and check that you actually paid what you were going to pay and if everything um, was legitimate. And if not, then there was a risk that you would be barred from the immigration program. So we're going to talk today about two different programs. One of them has to do with labor market impact assessments. That's one program that also undergoes audits. The other one we're going to talk about is um, immigration audits related to work permits, which is outside of the labor market process. So there are two different ways that the government is now double checking and coming back and ensuring that those people who get work permits here, however they get the work permit, are actually being paid and honoring the requirements of the job. So let's talk about that and the importance for employers in Canada to ensure that they are um, meeting all the requirements and they're prepared for the requirements. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the corporate compliance audit for labor market impact assessments. For those of you who may not be as familiar with immigration as I am, I'm doing this for 20 years and loving it, um, there's such a thing as called the labor market impact assessment. This is the category that allows you to hire a foreign worker as a corporate client or an employer in Canada. If you go through all the hoops, you advertise the job for one month, at least you extensively, you meet all the advertising criteria and you still can't find the Canadian or permanent resident of Canada that meets your requirements for the job, then you are sometimes given permission to bring in a foreign worker to hire them into that role. And when you do that, there are a number of declarations that employers make. One of them, for instance, is that I'm going to pay the prevailing wage. I'm going to pay the salary that is at the level that a Canadian would be paid if they were doing the job. I'm going to give the benefits that I said I'm going to give. All of those criteria you have to meet in order to get the approval to then bring in that foreign worker to work. And usually they bring their families with them, their immediate family members, and they start their lives in Canada and may even turn into permanent residents down the line. When you come in under that labor market impact assessment, as an employer, you are declaring 
that you will ensure you meet your financial payroll benefits, um, safe workplace, a workplace free of harassment, all of these different criteria. You are saying you're going to meet them all. And you have a six-year term where the government can come back and audit you and come and look at your records and ask you to present records to justify and prove that you actually did meet all of those employment criteria that our labor market um, officials insured required you to maintain. So that's why we always tell our clients after we're successful, we finish an LMIA application for them. We always say, make sure you keep all the records, keep the records of recruitment, keep the records of the offer, keep even copies of those people who apply for the job, keep payroll records. You want to keep everything because you never know when they will come back. And when they do, you want to have your records ready to go. You want to know if you paid a legal representative such as myself, you've got in there as well, the invoices, everything to show that you did everything correctly. And, and this way, when the time comes for that audit, which will happen, you want to know that you're ready and that you're going to be successful. The impact of being, um, of not being successful is that you could be barred for a temporary period of time or permanently from the LMIA process ever again. And that would mean from an employer, you may not be able to use the foreign worker program again if you have not met the criteria. And in Canada, you know, we have a list, we call it the blacklist. Basically, it's the employer list you can find online of those employers who have not done things right, who have been caught doing things that are contrary to their LMIA approval and have therefore been suspended or banned from the program. So if you're a foreign person looking to hire to be hired in Canada, you want to check that list. It's on the IRCC website because you want to know I'm not going to accept a job from one of those people or one of those organizations because they are not doing things ethically and at the standards of the Canadian government. So that's the first way that the compliance portal or the compliance process works is as it relates to the labor market impact process. So this is how it first started because they really put a lot of pressure on um, Canadian companies, employers to make sure they're doing everything right and that they're not mistreating foreign workers. So this is what it came out of. Uh, maybe about eight years ago, there was a bank, I will not name the bank, a very large bank in Canada, that there was a big scandal about what happened because it looked like they were bringing in foreign workers, but they were paying them like they were paying them back in India. And to live in Toronto, Ontario, downtown, that is just unacceptable. And so Canadian workers were losing their jobs while these foreign workers were coming in and taking their jobs. And they were not complying with the intention underlying the labor market process, which is not to fire Canadians to hire foreigners who are qualified. If the Canadians are qualified, they're the priority. That's always the underlying intention. And two, to make sure they're paying prevailing wage that allows them to be treated the same as if they were Canadian citizens working in Canada. You can't bring in a foreign workforce and underpay them and treat them badly and, you know, take advantage of them. That was a real driving force to change the process. And this was about eight years ago. This is when it started. And there were a number of employers that were really doing things in a shady way. You know, they're ruining it for all of those wonderful employers, the 98% great employers. It was ruining the program for them. So this is why the government came up with changing this. And they also increased penalties. 
So the immigration refugee protection regulations were changed because of all of these scandals that were happening in the media um, to foreign workers who were complaining. So one of the issues now is if a company is found to be non-compliant, they can be fined upwards to $100,000 per violation. They're not taking it lightly anymore. They're ensuring that they are penalties that they would have to pay in addition to being put on the blacklist and possibly suspended or barred completely. So this is really important. Some employers can be banned for one year or two or five or 10 years. And the maximum fine would be $1 million if an employer is seen to be consistently taking advantage of foreign workers. So this was one of the the changes that took place. When you get a call from um, the Service Canada, which is our Department of Labor, and they say, we'd like to do an audit, you want to be ready. You want to have all your files ready to go, and it doesn't cause stress because you know you've done everything correctly. And ideally, you're working with a knowledgeable legal professional who has guided you from finishing your approval process to guiding you to making sure you keep the right records. It's very important. So that's one aspect of the compliance regime that changed. The other one that's outside of the labor market process is different. This is for all workers. And that started changing in 2015. So basically now it went from just focusing on foreign workers under the labor market process to all foreign workers. Now there's something called a compliance portal. And this compliance portal is where every single person coming to Canada who gets a work permit, their Canadian client or their Canadian um, employer must complete the government compliance portal in advance of them arriving. And this applies to everybody, including American citizens, under NAFTA work permits, people coming under intercompany transfers, people coming from CETA, so Canadian-European trade agreements. All of those people need to make sure that their client or employer who's bringing bringing them, almost sponsoring them, to come and do the work in Canada, they have to upload information. And this compliance portal is now mandatory. The government created it because, again, there wasn't a lot of tracking. Who's here? What are they doing? Who's paying them? Do they have benefits? Are they permanent coming in for three years working full time? Or are they periodically coming in and out? There was not a lot of information being captured because people could process a lot of applications at the border. So if you're a Mexican citizen, American citizen, British, European, Australian, New Zealand, people who did not need visas, that did not need consulate processing, where they definitely track you then, if you didn't need that, there wasn't a lot of tracking. So now employers have to upload information um, to the compliance portal, and that usually means they must have a CRA number, Canada Revenue number. They have to have a business number. They have to be legitimately doing business in Canada, paying their taxes. They then have to upload details of this job offer, basically. Um, and it could be an intercompany. It could be a NAFTA professional. Um, it could be some other category. It could even be somebody coming to do an artistic performance for two months and they get a work permit. Every single one of those people, they need to be input into the compliance portal. So it's a $230 government compliance fee that's paid. You must pay that. And that must be paid by the client or the employer that you're going to get a work permit under. Then they upload details of your job. Is it full-time? Are you a, are you a consultant? Are you being paid in Canada or outside of Canada? Are you, um, 
do you need to be educated for this role? What are the criteria? Do you have benefits? All of those things have to be uploaded into the portal and then it's accepted. And then what spits out after when it's all done is an A number. And this is the number. It's not really an approval number, but some people call it that. It's not approval until you actually get approved at the border at the airport. But the A number is the number that ties your application to what you're presenting at the airport. So if you're an American citizen, you're applying for a NAFTA engineering work permit in Canada, and your employer, your new employer in Canada has done everything right, they've helped put together a strong package that you qualify for, they've worked with a lawyer, we've done our job, we've done the upload to the compliance portal, and now you get to the airport with your package in hand and you say, I'd like to apply for work permit, that officer is going to direct you to the office where you go, they will look up the A number. That is how they know your employer has met all the criteria and completed the compliance portal. And then they will also then focus on you and adjudicate you at that point in time to see if you fully qualify to be a NAFTA engineer. Do you have a degree? Where's your offer letter? Where's your legal letter? Where's your credentials? All of that you present, they then still have the ability to use their discretion, but it allows them to tie your name and application to the A number that's in the portal. If that's not done before you get to Canada or make your application at the border, you will not be approved for a work permit. This is now a precondition for them to even consider the approval. You must complete this process first. So that's the first thing I want to say. It's very important that you do that. Um, once the client has done that and you're in Canada working, then you have the opportunity to um, to to know that that client has, again, that, that company could be audited for six years. So in that six-year period, we always tell our clients that when we finish an application, keep the records. Whatever you put in there about hours of work, about um, about salary benefits, you must be doing that. Unless, for instance, a person has terminated or has left or whatever the case may be, you put notes in there as well. But up until the point that they left the organization, you must be paying them and benefiting them in the way that you indicated. Or again, you could be barred from the program, you could be fined, and it will definitely make it much more difficult for an employer, uh, for you as a company, to bring in any foreign workers in the future. You don't want to start off with a negative, um, a negative perspective or view of your organization or company. So you must do it right. One of the services we provide at ACA Business Immigration Law is a compliance audit service. And we do this because we want people to be prepared for when they get that call. You know, every week we get a call from a client, a former client saying, we just got the email, we just got a letter from immigration and they're doing an audit and they've chosen these two weeks or, or one month of time since our foreign worker was here. They want to capture in that period of time if we met all the criteria and all the requirements. And they usually come back and ask us for help. They may engage us again to ensure they're answering properly, that we've got the backup information to justify and explain everything for approval. So they take this very seriously, and we want our clients to be prepared. So in the past, we've actually helped companies go in, and we've done pre-audit audits. Essentially, it allows us to go in, look at their records, look at what they put in the compliance portal, and make sure they line up. And if they don't, we raise that flag and we say, what happened here? What happened here? This is a weakness. 
what happened? You need to put it in the file. If somebody was terminated or fired or left and returned home, what happened that makes this inconsistent with what you said you were going to do? And if you're short somehow in pay or vacation pay or holiday pay, stat pay, whatever it is, if there's something that is short, you must reconcile that quickly and pay it. Take care of it now, as opposed to being found out that you missed, maybe you missed a vacation day or a stat holiday or overtime, whatever it is, make sure you do it so that when you do get audited, you're ready for the audit and you know that your records all line up. So one of the things we want to talk about, in addition to this, we talk about, you know, compliance audits and being prepared. I'm going to give you some tips so that you might want to think about this and, of course, forward this to any clients or corporations that you might work for when it's when it's loaded up to our Facebook page at acalaw.com um, to think about what they need to do so that you're working for the right employer and that you feel good about the employer you're working for. Okay? So there's been a real shift in the compliance regime. As I said before, we didn't really have one really in a, in a very formal way. We, there were checks being done, but we didn't have this compliance regime. So one of the things is random audits are possible. I've talked to you about that, where Employment and Social Development Canada, which is our, our service Canada, which is also called our Department of Labor in Canada, they will do random audits of your records. So you want to be ready. And some of the risks, if you're found to be non-compliant, financial fine, jail time, Hiring ban on using the program, as I've mentioned, you know, jail time is serious. You don't want to mess around with that. Naming and shaming, which means, as I said, they'll put your firm, your company name on a website, and it's called the blacklist, or those that are not compliant on the immigration website. And it's very public, and you can find out the details of that, um, of that banning, that person that's been suspended from the program. So the worker non-compliance risks are you could be detained in Canada. If you are doing something wrong as a worker and you're also not compliant, you could have deportation proceedings against you. You'll have problems entering Canada in the future, likely, and you'll definitely have challenges obtaining permanent residence. So you need to think about this. If there's any misrepresentation by you or your employer, you can both be impacted negatively. So it's really, really important. I want to focus now on five best practices that I would recommend. First one is you need to know the rules and the processes. You need to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing. You cannot say, oh, I had no idea. That is not a defense in a situation like this. Not knowing and saying, I didn't know, there was no intention to misrepresent, there was no intention to be offside with compliance, that is not an option. That is not going to get you off. So you must know the rules and processes before you employ a foreign worker. You need to know what your obligations are. You need to know what your risk tolerance is. You need to know what the potential risk is for the company and for the individuals that lead the organization, as I mentioned, even jail time, in addition to significant fines. Another thing you need to know is what are the key legal sources for your information? Immigration law is constantly changing, and it's really important that you stay up to date. So wherever you're looking for information, whether it's a law firm, consultant, uh, online with the government, the act, regulations under Immigration Refugee Protection Act, you need to know. You need to know, and you can't say, I didn't know. That is not a defense. 
Another thing you need to know are who are the main bodies when it, as it relates to immigration law in Canada. So one of them, obviously, is Canada Border Services Agency. Those are the people we see at the border. Uh, you need to know Immigration Refugee um, Citizenship Canada. That's the overarching immigration organization. And you need to know ESDC. As I mentioned before, that's Employment and Social Development Canada. They are the people responsible for labor market impact assessments. So the key rules as it relates to you as a foreign, as a company hiring a foreign worker, you must understand everybody needs a work permit that's working in Canada, except for very, very few exceptions. You must understand that. You must know that. Everybody that's coming to do work for you in Canada must have a work permit in their possession, Okay. There's no exceptions unless it's this very, very short business visitor entry that allows you to do some work without a work permit. Another thing we really think is important is to focus on doing a conduct a work permit review. I tell my clients to do this on on an annual basis. When people are in Canada working, their social insurance numbers, they're, they're called SIN numbers, they start with nine. So you can do an audit in your organization to make sure that you've got files for every single temporary worker you have, that you've got their name, you've got their personal data, such as their date of birth, their sex, country of birth, citizenship, that you've got a copy of their passport and a copy of the work permit, and you know the work permit expiry date, and you have a copy of their SIN card, the social insurance number card, and you know where they are working and their job duties. And all of those things should be kept in a file. It's a little different from a personnel file or a file for um, employment. It's a little different because you have to also factor in the foreign worker aspects of it, which are a little different. So you must keep that file. In case you get that audit, you just pull the file, you're ready to go. And also doing the SIN reviews every year, it allows you to confirm if the SIN number expiry dates are consistent with the work permit expiry dates. And as I said, if you do an audit, they start with nine and that'll help you know which person in your organization is actually a foreign worker. The other thing is conduct a labor market impact assessment or online offer of employment review. That means Every LMIA you have, keep it in the file and regularly look at it that you got approval for to ensure that you're definitely meeting the criteria at all times. If you give somebody a small raise, that's fine for LMIA purposes. If it's significant, you may want to send a fax or communicate with Service Canada and let them know that you've given this very large raise to somebody. They may want you to go back and do the LMIA again. So you want to make sure you've been completely transparent. The same with the offer of employment review. Due diligence also requires that you look at the work permit, the employment contract, the working conditions, wages, benefits, hours, job description, job duties, location of employment, etc., and that they are accurate at that point in time. And you may also want to do an employment contract review. You know, if you don't if you don't have a good written contract, it makes it hard to ensure that you're complying. So we recommend that everybody should have an employment contract when they employ somebody new, even somebody coming from another country. You must outline the details of that. And you want to make and maintain complete and accurate records. We recommend that you have the physical file, but you also have an electronic file. And you recommend that two or three people in the organization be responsible for maintaining it and checking it. The reason is people come and go in organizations. You don't want all that knowledge going out the door with somebody because you don't know 
who you have in your organization as a foreign worker. So at least two to three people should be considered the immigration or compliance specialist in your organization. It's usually HR or legal. And that if they get the call and you're on vacation, someone else will be able to take to step in and take over and help manage that audit. Really important. Um, we also recommend that you review all your business records, including payroll records. Make sure that your payroll organization is doing things right and paying people exactly what you committed to. Occasionally, they make mistakes, and that mistake could be a costly mistake for you if you're found to be offside as an organization. So those are some of the things that I would definitely recommend as an organization you consider is how can we be focused on compliance? Right now, every time we finish a file at Active Business Immigration Law, we follow up after the package has been sent and the person has gotten their work permit with our memo, two memos, documents that say, make sure that you are keeping these records. And if you get the call, please call us. If you need help, give us a call. But you make sure that you're not going to answer in an irresponsible way or take it too casually, because this is significant. It's not casual at all how government is viewing the whole immigration process in terms of compliance. It is a new world. I think it's actually better because it's focusing also on um, confirming the, the success and confirming the the, the safety and um, and honesty of companies, but also it's focusing on the employee, that foreign worker who's not being taken advantage of. It's really important. So as I said, we're here for you at ACA Business Immigration Law. If you have any questions at all on compliance audits, compliance reviews, what to do, how to prepare, if you're interested in a pre-compliance audit, We'll happy to come in, look at all your records, and help you to be prepared. One thing we do, too, that's a tip for some of our clients is when we complete the compliance audit, we almost never online, the portal, I should say, we almost never put in things like hours of work. We usually leave it zero, 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 zero. And the reason we do that is because things change, and we don't want to indicate 40 hours guaranteed. And then what happens with your business is perhaps – you know, you're not as busy and you only have 30 hours. We don't want you to kind of put something down that could come back to bite you later. So it's important to be cautious. We're completely being transparent, but we don't want to necessarily put you in a position where you have no room to move and no flexibility so that when you do get the compliance call, you have the ability to to explain away what it is. We've put zero. We couldn't be sure of the hours. If you're a consultant, there's no guarantee of hours. So we put zero, zero, zero for a reason on the compliance portal to protect the client and to make sure that you will comply with the requirements of the law. I do hope this has been helpful. Um, we've seen some people asking for our number, wants to call from Australia. Our phone number again is 403-452-9515, 403-452-9515. You can reach me and our great team at Law at com, and you can send questions through the website as well and complete personal and corporate um, consultation questionnaires, anything you need, and we'll definitely get back with you as soon as possible. Thank you so much for listening to this. And as I said, we focus on taking care of our clients from beginning to the end. So six, seven years down the line, you get that call. We're still here to help you take care of this and support you. So feel free to give us a call anytime. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.